0: section 0 of the symphony since beethoven this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the symphony since beethoven by felix weingartner translated by maud barrows dutton preface to the second edition the necessity of getting out a second edition of this book two years after the publication of the first is a gratifying proof to me that the thoughts expressed therein did not fall upon unfruitful soil, although nothing was done for their dissemination. The present edition differs from the first primarily in being more carefully finished in style, and furthermore in a greater precision to obtain which some wordy passages have been struck out, and some supplementary ones have been added. No reader of this edition will suffer under the false impression that I consider the further development of the symphony impossible, and speak a good word for program music only. It is incomprehensible to me how anyone could have read this idea into the first edition. There have been complaints also that I have overlooked composers. Especially in Paris, where the little book has become known through the translation made by Madame Chevalard, has this criticism been raised against me. Although more names are spoken of here than before, still there are, of course, many deserving artists who are not mentioned. My book is not a catalogue, and no one should expect to find in it just what he would in the latter. Finally, the question is often put to me with no little wit, why I, after writing this book, should have composed two symphonies, and what was my aim in doing this. I will take the trouble here to answer this query with corresponding wit aim had i none both symphonies were written simply because they came to me felix weingartner munich december nineteen hundred the symphony since beethoven if in wandering through some alpine valley while we were standing awestruck before a colossal mountain whose snow-crowned peak rose shimmering in the distance and we were perhaps deeming that man happy whose courage and strength were great enough to carry him over this peak to enjoy the view beyond when suddenly our medications were interrupted by a voice at our side saying in all seriousness i am going to climb over that mountain into the blue clouds beyond we would have little doubt but that we were confronted either by a foolhardy dreamer or a madman we would scarcely ridicule the man but rather look upon his simple faith with eyes of pity such a feeling of pity can also seize upon us when we come into the full consciousness of beethoven's greatness when our whole being becomes filled with the infinitely deep significance of his compositions and then meets so many young composers who are striving under the title of symphony to win for themselves money or reputation compared with the inexhaustible wealth of emotion and thought that beethoven gave us through his music compared with his expression of that world of feelings which embraces the most powerful passions and the tenderest feelings of love, the deepest humor and metaphysical transportations, it must have first seemed like a foolhardy, if not an insane undertaking, like the dream of the man who had climbed the impassable mountain where works today are written in the same form as Beethoven's symphonies. Richard Wagner, not only the greatest musician, but also the greatest musical critic of the last half-century, pours out his bitterest satire on the symphony writers since Beethoven. He is astonished that composers saw in Beethoven's creations only the finished form, and gaily went on writing more symphonies without observing that the last symphony, Beethoven's Ninth, had been given to the world without observing that in this symphony lay the extreme emanation of music as a separate art as a direct transition to collective art, by which he means works which are freed from all vagueness by their artistic finish, and that with its birth the right of existence of all other symphonies had in itself to fail. Wagner considered at the same time the Ninth Symphony as a precursor of his own life work, and characterized Beethoven's great tome poem as working a reform in his mind although i have referred to wagner's broader treatment of the subject in opera and drama i wish to state clearly here at the beginning of this treatise that on this point i am not agreed with wagner a nature like his that with such incredible energy sought to reach its highest goal and did reach it as he was able to do must finally look at all else in the light of this goal and lose to a certain extent that objectivity which distinguishes other great men who are not in this sense revolutionary as for instance gota the question next arises what indeed can be said of a form which stands there complete in itself which in relation to its own parts even in cases of a change of key seems almost immovably placed under a rule of a form which after a master had filled it with such wonderful content that it proved too small so that he, in the end, after he had expressed the vastness of his soul in it, broke its fetters for forever, as Beethoven did in the last movement of his ninth symphony, as well as in his last sonatas and quartets, we may question further if it is not the love of experimentation and no longer the art impulse which leads a composer to gather up the debris of form which Beethoven's genius snapped asunder and seek to bring them together into a perfect whole in fact we may justly ask if such composers are capable of conceiving beethoven's immortal greatness in opposition to this it must be emphatically asserted that beethoven after he had once deserted the usual form did not always continue to do so he in no wise wished his act to be interpreted as the laying down of a deliberate principle the sonata opus 101 which is like a free fantasia is followed by the monumental opus 106, which in its four gigantic movements is perfectly rounded off as to form. The sonatas in E major and A flat major, even freer in their form, are followed by the last one in C minor, which, if one overlooks the omission of the customary quick-moving finale, is so complete in form that Bulow could justly point out as a model of its kind. The two quartets in B-flat major and C-sharp minor stand between the two in E-flat major and A-minor, which in form do not deviate in the least from earlier quartets. At any rate, it is clear that Beethoven left the accustomed form only when the arrangement of the entire work required it, as, for example, guided by his inspiration, he introduced the choral part with Schiller's words into his Ninth Symphony, and that he in no wise treated the form as obsolete although at times he stepped beyond its bounds face to face with these examples we can justly conjecture although we can never know whether beethoven if he had lived would have written another symphony in the old form wagner by his hypothesis of the last symphony seems to consider it improbable we can more easily answer the question whether in the present day when we see a composer heap up an immense pile of abnormal instrumental and perhaps vocal music in order to produce tone-pictures surpassing the old form if it here also was really the deliberate intention and not perchance only the mass of average work which wore out the form and if that mass of average work did not correspond to the creative power which produced the compositions if so no phoenix will fly forth from the ashes of the cooling debris of form, but on the contrary, a thick, strange liquor will ooze forth from the broken vessel and fall heavily to the ground. On the other hand, in case of a truly significant work, a truly inspired work which has withstood victoriously the duly assigned struggle with contemporary short-sightedness, one will recognize in its form and instrumentation if they do not deviate too greatly from the customary, only the necessary means for the embodiment of the composer's inspiration. We will no longer measure such a work by the old laws, but will seek to deduce new laws from it. No musical form has developed from its origin to its incontestable zenith within such a remarkably short time as the symphony. The song, for example, although it found its first great master early in the century, is still discovering through the blending of words and music, which have each in their own way adapted themselves to the melodious character of the song, new outlets for itself, so that many a song written since Schubert's death may fear nothing from a comparison with those of the immortal singer. For the musical drama, through Richard Wagner's reformatory deed, innumerable ways now stand open which depend only upon the choice and the poetical elaboration of the subject and now we must remember that haydn wrote his first symphony about the year seventeen sixty and that in eighteen twenty three only sixty-three years later those harmless playful joyous creations had gloriously developed into the grandest of tragedies and beethoven's ninth symphony had come into being more than three-quarters of a century have passed between the appearance of that wonderful creation and today, and still in the realm of symphonies It wears undisputed the crown. But, as in all spheres of life, we observe that a temporary retrogression, often a complete decline, follows the highest development. So I believe that nature here, after she had produced Haydn, Mozart, and Beethoven, men of immortal greatness, needed a period of comparative rest after the overpowering strain. Productive power had turned towards the opera, the musical drama, and borne its ripest fruit thus far in richard wagner but who can therefore conclude that music is going over into the collective arts and consequently that the symphony as well as music in general is losing its right of existence as a separate art? all further development depends solely on the birth of the ruling genius which can neither be foreseen nor predicted and when it does come will cast all calculations to the winds and if we cannot know With what contents a future composer will fill the symphonic form, so it is equally wrong to lay the blame of the degeneration of symphonic productions since Beethoven to the forms being obsolete. Wagner himself seems to take back, partially at least, what he pronounced so harshly in opera and drama, in that, in his treatise upon the application of music to the drama, volume 10 of his collected works, he acknowledges, under certain conditions, the possibility of a symphony being written about which something too might be said. In order to reach a comprehensive view of this heretofore only suggested possibility, we will wish to run through here briefly, there more extensively, the chief works which have been produced in the line of symphonies. End of section zero.